0: News. News. News, news. 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 New York City. The FAQ
1: NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. F-A-Q. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel here with Katie Honan, and Alex Brooklyn, along with Jeff Mays of the New York Times, who's rejoining the pod to break down in a bit his article about why Governor Kathy Oakle has struggled so far to connect with black voters. After that, You'll be hearing from Craig McCarthy, the deputy police bureau chief for the New York Post. But first, we got to note a few things that happened this week, starting with the big news. Ha ha. Eric Adams, who made news on this podcast back in 2020 when he told Professor Christina Greer that he would carry a gun as mayor.
2: So as mayor, would you carry a firearm on you even with a security detail?
1: Uh, uh,
0: Yes, I will. Number one. And number two, I won't have a security detail. If the city is safe, the mayor shouldn't have a security detail with him. He should be walking the street by himself. Number three, the hypocrisy
1: of those who are citywide officials who said that you shouldn't have guns in church. Those guys that walk in with them, they got guns. Told me this week that he has not, in fact, done so since coming to office and lifted his jacket and showed his ankles to prove it. So in 2020, you came on and you said that you would uh, carry a gun as mayor. I just wanted to follow up on that. Are you, and have you since been elected, carried a gun? Ankles, ankles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, but seriously, let's be clear
0: what I said. I stated that if I receive a threat from my intel that states that there's a real threat, that I would make that determination. Intel uh, protects me. Many people are not happy to hear, but, you know, my brother is with me, and sometimes
2: he's my duplicate, he's my body double. Uh, but we are going to do what's right to protect the people of the city of New York. And if I um, feel the
1: need to do so, then I would do so. I don't feel the need to do so right now, because Bernard is around me. And have you since you've come to office at any point? Uh, no, uh, no, I have not. Maybe just a bit more significantly. The mayor suddenly announced this week his plan to clear all of the city's homeless encampments over the next two weeks. A move that came shortly after he said he was cracking down on people sleeping on trains or in subway stations. Uh, The mayor said he wants to give city agencies, have them execute a plan to give services to the people who are in encampments and then to dismantle those encampments. But from the reporting I've seen so far, there's been a lot more dismantling. Then service provision, and just after that campaign began, with the removal of an encampment in Williamsburg on an unseasonably cold day, the mayor was partying that night with Wyclef Jean, Kara Delivinigne, and ASAP Rocky at a TikTok-friendly influencers event promoting a Wells Fargo credit card for renters in quite the tale of two damn cities. Like, like honestly, when he's like, I want, I want people to be safe, and I want policing to be fair. Like who could possibly argue with that? You know, you, you know, he's just got to do it. it. Yeah, but
0: but like I said, like has anyone ever done that? Has anyone ever made the city safe by using those poli- those policing tactics without violating people's rights? It's never uh, has it been done
2: anywhere? I don't know. I mean, I even Laguardia so. with the yeah. communists. If you want to go all the way back there, like that wasn't that wasn't constitutional rights. You know, like that wasn't that wasn't not brutal.
1: Super cool thing. I just learned with LaGuardia was when he had his pinball crusade, which actually started a few years earlier and involved this commissioner. It's all cool history, and I won't bore you with it. However, so he's taking the pinball machines and they're making them into scrap for the war effort, but they're taking the legs off the pinball machines and then gifting them to cops. So the cops had as billy clubs like pinball legs to just whack the shit out of people with.
2: That absolutely should should be a, a, a history that you bore people with. Yeah. Come, yeah, come to my pinball bar. We
3: have photos of LaGuardia. My local is a pinball bar. They have the LaGuardia photos destroying oh, pinball really? machines.
1: I, I will absolutely come to any pinball bar.
0: But that yeah. that is a very powerful metaphor, man.
1: I think you need to work that into a column. I you know what I really should do that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you just you just gave him a gift because there are often times where Harry's like Fuck, what do I write this week? That, that's a really now, powerful
1: metaphor pinball yeah so. i'm ready i'm writing my post column this week i'm just i'm so mad at the progressives because because bail reform is not driving anything that's happening it's it's like f- the previous system was inequitable and bad but you have to have some like affirmative answer for what the fuck you're doing or, or this will all get undone and like i'm just I'm, I'm mad at them i'm not mad at the post yeah i'm not mad at anyone else it's like it's like you can't just be like, well it's the pandemic. What can you do when your answer to every fucking thing else in the world is like, uh, you know, your progressive ACAB? answer? government needs to do more. Yeah. yeah. Like no, really, you're right.
0: Uh, I mean, they, I think they ha- they need to concede that there probably do need to be some tweaks to the to the legislation and then start working on what the tweaks can be as opposed to. And, and I think they're going to they have to cave. Right. At
1: least maybe on like uh, discovery reform. Like, yeah, th- th- this is this is Gonzalez's bet right is that discovery that, that, that you know they're gonna this can be the the thing everyone can agree on is discovery reform it's not right. as heated as the other two i don't know if you read a keen browder's piece in the daily news last week it was I really good really? really good like 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 um and it just explained how all three of these things played into his brother's death um in this 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 powerful and compelling way that like made sense to me in a way i had not had previously of why those happened together in 2019 you know that he wasn't getting the proper discovery he was being held as an adult uh right. tried to, and held as an adult and, and 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 you know and as a kid and is stubborn and like this combination of those three things really do converge to like put him in that nightmarish situation but i don't know if you can legislate from from anecdote and or from humanity even like no matter how powerfully compelling that is but anyways the piece is really worth it personally read. i think yeah, it I'll hinges think
2: on proof of dangerousness right like it has to go from flight risk to dangerousness yeah. and that has to be a real that has to be a real argument that ADAs have to work hard to make and but i think that that's gonna, where like that's I mean,
1: never going to go for that like they rejected it in 1970 and it was a big fight
2: I, yeah but and, i and am ever the, since. like i don't think that well you me and you harry can fight about this because i am the I'm way more left than you and you think all progressives are some fucking idiot waving a flag spray painting gory johnson's fucking boyfriend's house and i'm telling you that a lot of progressives are like me and i don't think i'm, an idiot. I'm just you know?
0: stoned. i'm just stoned i mean so you think they need to change the dangerousness standard or is that what you're saying
2: I think that they have to put more of an onus on ADAs to prove dangerousness mm-hmm. as a way to set bail, as opposed to like just relying on these flimsy, you know, ideas of you know cash bail and flight risk and all this kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that they have to make more compelling cases for dangerousness, and that's where you're going to like offset the margins of bail reform. But that's
1: yeah. what, yeah. That's what, yeah. But 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 like Jeff was saying, right? Like like crime is up everywhere. It's not it's not just up in right. New York or, since, or because since this happened, it's up since the pandemic. And like at a certain point, the post is always going to be able to find some piece of shit who did some absolutely terrible thing and like rape granny, who'd done a previous terrible thing, right? Uh, um, maybe almost as terrible, right? Like 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 uh, and, and 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 then was out. Like there is no set of rules in which that doesn't happen.
2: This is why he he ended up gyrating naked and threw someone in the subway and then yeah. like you know caught himself on the third rail right because during the pandemic everything slipped through the cracks he was on AOT and they stopped having to do face to face interviews and the shelter run by a nonprofit which is not accountable to anyone was not obliged to inform the family of any change in his state of well-being so you know what I, what I did see today Eric Adams do that I like hold the phone is he's actually getting several different city agencies to work in tandem on a yeah. problem. And that's something De Blasio never could have done.
3: Well, one yeah. thing that was impressive was the depressor today, Eric, the mayor, just Eric Adams, just stood in the back like everyone else. And then he was like, what the fifth person to talk. I lost track. Um, yeah. So, you know, everyone has their own, um, emotional intelligence and egos but i was like you know what I, if it's just to to signal you know something that's going on on it's this is a team thing it's not a me thing yeah. i never saw that with bill de blasio
0: i mean here's my thing though Our, like, like make sure the beds are ready right yeah before you start clearing encampments like make sure oh, the man. beds are ready before well, you start what, yeah. clearing the people off the subway like that's to me that's the planning issue with them like get the beds but, ready like you're the mayor Like you bust somebody's ass. I want a thousand beds ready in two weeks. Like I want it done. Find me a thousand beds. Yeah. If you can say we're clearing
1: all the encampments, if you can say we're clearing all the encampments, you can say we're getting the beds ready and then we're clearing all the encampments. I want people to know this is happening in two weeks. There is nothing stopping us from doing that.
2: But Eric Adams has control of one side, but he doesn't have control of the other side. He doesn't have control of the beds, right? Like he can make conglomerate shelters, but he cannot make more hospital beds that is a state issue that and a, a state hospital issue like for the mentally ill like he just doesn't have that control on the other end and he knows it you or know? even the so single can,
0: room sh- even the easy access shelters he controls those he controls the low access shelters that's yeah. what some of those people want they want a room to go to by themselves where they don't have to worry about you know my brother you know i grew up in new york so my brother is uh, like older than me. And so when he was in college, he worked in a homeless shelter and he said, you know, I went in there and I couldn't understand why everyone was sleeping with their shoes on. And then one night he saw it. Somebody, somebody who had not experienced homelessness went in there, took their shoes off. And in the morning, the damn shoes were gone. So if you're in a place where you can't even, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep in your shoes. It's hella uncomfortable. Yes. But think about that. That's the, like, probably the least most uncomfortable thing about shelters. But, you know, if you're in a place like that and you can't even rest easy, uh, you know, that doesn't help your mental health either. So, yeah, get the low access beds available. He can totally do that.
1: He can totally do that. Two things here. I want to come back to how you who grew up in New York. Use the phrase Hella, the modifier Hella uncomfortable. That's California shit. Um Jeff, let's uh let's let's pivot now and discuss your article. Let's jump right in. So rejoining us uh, now is Jeff Mays of the New York Times. Hey Jeff. Hey, how's it going? It's good. How are you doing? Good. Good, good hanging good. in there. Yeah, I hear that. Speaking of hanging in there, so <laughs> Kathy Oakle, uh she she's up According to this new Siena poll by roughly a billion points uh, (laughs) over her declared Democratic opponents, but is just barely ahead of Andrew Cuomo altogether if uh, he was to uh, enter the race. And this poll shows that uh, he is leading her 50 to 23 among black voters. And you wrote about this in The New York Times. Will black voters turn out for Governor Hochul? Uh, Question mark. And uh, I'm hoping you can explain why why somebody who is otherwise in such an apparently dominant position has uh, seems to have so much of an issue at this point, uh, uh, gaining the uh, support of black voters um, as she's going through this primary process. And then she hopes and I think assumes into the general.
0: Yeah, I, I think she finds herself in an interesting position. You know, she's a, a white moderate candidate from uh, upstate New York, Buffalo, um, you know, just not widely known to voters uh, before she uh, had to uh, assume the governorship after uh, Andrew Cromwell uh, resigned. Uh, so I think part of her problem definitely um, is recognition. Um, it is, you know, uh, getting known to downstate voters who who make up a substantial um you know, proportion of the sort of Democratic base that's going to be voting um, in the primary and, you know, also just an important constituency uh, when it comes to the the general election as well on, on where she would be uh, drawing support. So I think, you know, again, getting just getting knowing people as part of her issue um, and, you know, you've seen her numbers sort of go up um, slightly the longer that she's been out. Um, in the public eye. I think the the other problem, you know, that I found from talking to a bunch of people, you know, democratic strategists, uh, you know, some leaders in the African American community is that, you know, there's some people feeling like, uh, you know, she's not necessarily just generating uh, a level of excitement uh, that would drive uh, that base out. And as we know, you know, Black voters are a really important part uh, of the Democratic Party, uh in new york uh so you know i talked to you know one leader kirsten john foy who you know had been traveling the states and you know said he just didn't feel any sort of democratic enthusiasm Um, and one of the reasons he felt was that the governor hadn't really uh, done a good enough job in in articulating a, a clear enough agenda um for the black community uh and then you know there's some other issues too you know she she made some remarks about the Manhattan uh, district attorney, you know, sort of insinuating that that she knew she had the power to uh, remove him. Uh, That caused some concerns uh, among some leaders uh, downstate. Um, And then right now, uh, you know, she has a lieutenant governor, uh, Brian Benjamin, uh, former state senator who, you know, she chose arguably because he was downstate, uh, he is an African-American, uh, just as a part of her effort to connect to that important constituency. You know, he's undergoing some questions uh, from federal investigators uh, regarding campaign donations um, and the like. So, you know, she just finds herself in, a, in an interesting spot right now uh, as it relates to Black voters. And it's not that she's necessarily going to lose or that she won't have their support, um, you know, come up For the primary election, but there's just a concern about whether that support will be sort of uh, muted uh, in a way that won't be helpful to her or other uh, candidates on the Democratic ticket.
3: So, Jeff, that that very artfully cues up this next question. Um, I I see there the two looming things happening um, with with her campaign, and the first you mentioned it's whatever would be happening with Brian Benjamin. in the whatever's happening, looking into the campaign financing and the donations to his campaign, the bundling first reported in the city, I think I'm contractually uh, required to know. Um, And then the second is this will he or won't he question with Cuomo. And, And as your story points out, when you look at polling of if Andrew Cuomo jumps into the race in whatever capacity, how those numbers change with black voters and more support goes to him. So do you want to talk a little bit about the kind of Benjamin problem, and then the Cuomo problem for Kathy Hochul.
0: Yeah, I, I think for any you know sort of sitting governor, just any hint of corruption um, or effort, potential ethical issues, and you know at this point, uh, Brian Benjamin has not been accused of of any wrongdoing um, in relation to the sort of uh, straw donor uh, situation. One of his uh, one of the donors he's associated, closely associated with has been charged in that he has yet to be accused of of any wrongdoing, obviously. Uh, but just any sort of hint of of impropriety, uh, is going to be harmful, you know, uh, to the sitting governor um, and what she's trying to do. The image she's trying to project specifically after, you know, uh, Governor Cuomo resigned uh, on, while facing sort of these these allegations of sexual harassment um, and just general bad behavior, uh, you know, just treating people poorly um, and general questions about, uh, you know, nursing home data and those sort of things. Um, you know, she wants to come in. Uh, just clearly, just clean uh, ethically and not have that problem. Um, so it kind of remains to see how, how that will um, affect her just yet. The other thing with, with the governor is, you know, even though he's polling uh, decently, uh, according to this most recent Siena poll, um, I think when you look at what Democratic voters say, a lot of them uh, say that they don't think he should actually run again. Uh, so it's kind of a, a strange poll. Whereas uh, you know he's probably benefiting from some of the name recognition he's had, his long history, you know his 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 name, his family name, his father was governor. Um, so he's benefiting from uh, some of that. But at the same time, just given the way that he resigned, uh, there's still a significant portion of 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 democratic Democrats who don't think he should actually run again. One
3: other follow up in in your story, you, you quote people who, who are saying there's really not excitement for Kathy Hochul, even in parts of, of her, where her geographic base were upstate. Um, you know, I hear no excitement and I just think, are people just tired <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of politics? And what do you think can be done on Kathy Hochul's part? I mean, I guess, how do you generate any kind of base or generate any excitement for people who are probably exhausted from a pandemic from a very vocal and active governor stepping down after investigations, a mayoral election that I know it seems like 20 years ago, but it wasn't that long ago. How do you think she can actually activate and and, and energize any base, let alone a base of very significant and important black voters in New York city?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to have to be the policy, right? Um, you know, they're, they're in the middle of the process at the end of, ne- of negotiating um, the budget uh, and certainly it's, it's not that she doesn't have any uh, accomplishments um, uh, and, and particularly accomplishments that that relate to um, issues facing African-Americans. You know, uh, you know, she's proposed uh, two hundred million dollars to make uh, the marijuana industry more equitable. She also has a sort of this new train line. She's proposed Interboro Express uh, or revived this idea of the Interboro Express that would sort of connect, uh, you know, transit deserts in Brooklyn Um, and Queens. And so I think, you know, what is going to excite people is the sort of policies that she's able uh, to come up with, um, the ideas that she's able to push through. You know, in the past, uh, to be honest, a lot of politicians, you know, uh, people that I've talked to, they feel that people come to the Black community during election time. And then uh, when it's time to actually deliver on policy proposals, um, economic development issues, that there is a sort of lack of responsiveness, uh, you know, unless it's election time. So uh, I think that's the, that's there's that concern and, and that's what she can do. Um, and, you know, right now she's in the middle of proposing some changes to uh, the bail reform legislation um, that uh, it's been a very dicey sort of situation uh, for her right now. Um, you know, if you look at that Siena poll, you know, black voters are kind of split on on whether, The changes to bail reform have made things more dangerous, um, or whether there should actually be changes uh, to that legislation. So, you know, it's part of politics. She's she's in the middle. She's come down uh, saying that there should be some tweaks to the legislation uh, while not changing it. uh, You know, overhauling it completely. Um, And we'll see how we'll have to see how voters uh, respond to that.
1: So, Jeff, twenty twenty one. There were a bunch of warning signs for Democrats in New York. There were a bunch of ballot measures about voting rights that were expected to pass pretty easily that all went down as voters outside of the city really came out against them. You know, some surprise losses in places like Long Island. Um, Cuomo is making noises about maybe running. Let's assume for a minute he's not going to do that, uh, given how recently he resigned and all the bad feelings there. But if he's dogging Hochulm, And, you know, staying involved, as he says, in New York politics, could he do real damage to her? Almost like what happened in New York in 2001 when, uh, uh, as you recall, you know, there was this split right at the end after this racist New York Post cartoon showing uh, Freddie Ferrer and Al Sharpton in bed together smoking a cigarette
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where where Democrats sort of cleared space for a Mike Bloomberg. Um, you know, Lee's Island's been showing internal polling, he says, shows a lot more Republicans are going to turn out, and this race is going to be competitive. Like, is there a danger of, of Black voters who don't know Hochul, you know, who's, who's like a, a new figure on, on the state stage, hasn't proven himself, herself to them at all, uh, potentially just, just just sitting out this election, depending on how things play out and where the former governor is and all that, or or that seem outside the uh, the range of the reasonably we like what he...
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the fear. That is the concern from numerous people that I spoke to, that the base will not be excited um, about her, uh, and then that will put her in, in jeopardy. Um, you know, she's faced um, heavy criticism uh, from Tom Swazzy, uh, you know, the the congressman who is, who is definitely running to her right uh, on bail reform. She's facing heavy criticism from the Republican uh, nominee uh, Lee Zeldin uh, on that issue. And then, you know, when Governor Cuomo uh, reemerged publicly, he also, uh, you know, critiqued uh, that issue. And I I think that's one of the reasons you saw her come out with this 10-point plan uh, that really tried to split the middle a little bit. You know, she tried to say that she was making tweaks uh, to the legislation. Obviously, there there are lots of people in the criminal justice reform area who disagree with that? That those are just tweaks, and are really concerned that the the changes that she's suggesting, you know, allowing judges to consider dangerousness, um, you know, changes to the raise the age statute, which would uh, potentially mean that younger people charged with gun crimes would uh, would be charged in adult criminal court, court as opposed to uh, juvenile court. So there's a real uh, concern about that. But yes. Uh, there is a danger there that if black voters don't come out uh, during the, the general election, that that could dampen the support that you know, Democratic candidates uh, normally rely on in statewide efforts uh, to drive their campaign. So, yeah, I, I think uh, this is a scenario that, that needs to be watched uh, closely. This is nowhere near over.
1: Just one other question here. Do you want to talk a little more about this uh, bragglash, lash, as I'm calling it, with <laughs> Alvin Bragg, right, newly elected Manhattan District Attorney, first black man ever to fill that post? He's been there, I think, less than two months. And more or less in response to uh, a series of New York Post editorials, she, she, she observes, well, I could just remove him from office, which is a pretty remarkable thing to say about a guy who's just won an election. And uh, it's starting off, and and I know you know at least a few prominent black ministers stepped back after that and had a, a sort of whoa moment. Like what happened there, and what's yeah, the implications? Yeah, I think you nailed it exactly right. You
0: know, when I spoke to Reverend Calvin Butts, who's really head of Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, which is a, a very influential uh, mega church, And I spoke to Reverend Al Sharpton, who, uh, you know, is a nationally known, uh, you know, criminal justice reform, police abuse advocate. Uh, they were both taken aback by the fact that the governor said that she was aware she could, you know, remove uh, Mr. Bragg from office. You know, Reverend Butt specifically saw it as an as an attack on a black man who has been put into a very difficult position. You know, Manhattan District Attorney is one of the premier law enforcement offices uh, in the country, and we see that with them handling cases against uh, you know former President Trump. Um, and, you know, the concern was, look, he he just got into office uh, and some of the concerns being raised around him and uh, the proposals that he sort of made to the way people are prosecuted were not really accurate. You know, a lot of those changes were in place under his predecessor, uh, Cy Vance, and those those sort of changes are already being done uh, by Eric Gonzalez, the, 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 the district attorney in Brooklyn. Uh, and, you know, the sort of to blame... Uh, Mr. Bragg, who just took office for the sort of uptick in violent crime on his policies, just really was just a reach for a lot of people. Uh, And, you know, specifically, uh, you know, Reverend Sharpton, Reverend Butts, uh, really saw it as an insult uh, to a Black man. And they were really concerned about, you know, what that said um, about the governor. Now, the governor, you know, after receiving some some criticism, really backed off, met with uh, D.A. Bragg and... Uh, you know, told people that that she needed to. They needed to give him a little slack. Uh, but you know, that's another issue that maybe you know maybe Sharpton is not out there for her. Maybe Butts is not encouraging his congregation of his megachurch and and all of their relatives uh, to vote for her. Uh, so that could be an issue that again could lead to a dampening of support, which could potentially you know leave her vulnerable. Uh, in a primary election if you don't have, you know, one of the most strongest, reliable bases uh, turning out um, in, in big numbers.
3: Jeff, uh, again, this is noted in your story, but can you talk about Jumani Williams' role here in this race? Um, and, and I know with the Siena poll, there, were, there was a margins change when we kind of played uh, theoretical if Cuomo jumps in, but talk about where he fits in, um, I guess for voters overall, but for um, the black voters that Kathy Hochul desperately needs to win this race.
0: Yeah, I think this this didn't really get into my story, but, you know, because we have some space limits. But um, <laughs> you know, I think Jumani Williams definitely recognizes that he's going to have to do well uh, among black voters if he has any sort of um, chance at this. You know, she's raised twenty one million dollars. You know, he's raised you know two hundred, three hundred thousand. So she has just a ridiculous. Uh, fundraising advantage against him. But when he ran against her for lieutenant governor last time, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Williams did really well in, you know, Brooklyn, which is the the largest, one of the largest democratic counties in the country. Um, And he also, you know, tried to uh, make progress with uh, Black voters upstate. Uh, That's part of of his plan. Um, You know, what I heard, but didn't make the story, was that there is some concern about Uh, how active uh, Jamani is being in his campaign you know there's some I believe there is some concern among progressives uh, that he is not running uh, as energetic as a campaign as he did last time when she was um, lieutenant governor when he was running for lieutenant governor Um, and there's some concern um, over whether he will be able to even repeat uh, a similar performance uh, as to what he did uh, last time, you know, I talked to some folks in Jumaane's campaign. They say he is going to begin ramping up uh, those sort of efforts. He had he was dealing with some personal um, issues um, early on, but, you know, you're going to start seeing him ramp up some of those efforts. I believe he was supposed to be in Albany today uh, doing some protesting of of the governor as well. Um, so, you know, the primary is not till June. It's, it's April. Um, so, you know, this is probably going to be the time where he's going to have to step up uh his criticisms uh of the governor there are plenty of things that they disagree on from uh, bail reform to the treatment of of mr bragg to you know her affordable housing uh proposal uh, so there are plenty of areas where Jamani might be able to differentiate himself uh, from governor Hokel. uh the question is you know whether he's going to be able to have the energy uh to drive progressives to make any sort of showing uh in this election
3: I mean, looking at this, I guess the other thing that we're going to talk about, and we'll have you chime in as well, is um, Mayor Eric Adams, who I know you were following today, has, um, I guess it felt almost like a pep talk, right, about his plan for street homeless and encampments. But um, kind of, we're nearing on his hundred days of office at some point, and I kind of wanted to get your take on how, how you think it is going, um, vastly different sort of um I guess he's trying to paint what he's doing is very different than what other mayors have done. But I think people see a lot of similarities, especially to certain police scene approaches. So just, you know, your take on the first however many I'm not doing math but however many days of of Eric Adams as mayor.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Mayor Adams uh, came in at a, at a difficult time. Right. The city was in the midst of a, a covid surge uh, in January. Um, you know, there were questions about, you know, what was going to happen with school, um, you know, sort of violent crime. We saw the violent crime um, uptick. And, you know, in his first few weeks, we saw just a series of sort of devastating crimes, uh, you know, against Asian-American uh, women specifically. Uh, you know, we saw one woman when Asian-American women pushed on the train tracks, another Asian-American woman followed home. Um, and, and stabbed uh, numerous times. We saw, you know, two police officers uh, murdered um, in Harlem. So really just an incredibly turbulent uh, first few months uh, for him. Um, and he's made a, a big promise to address crime, which, you know, for any mayor or any elected official, uh, you know, how, whether you can immediately come in and do things that will affect crime, which, as we know, uh, is something that is affected by a myriad of factors, including the economy, uh, the fact that we're just coming out of a, a horrible pandemic uh, where thousands of people jo- died and lost their jobs and and lost their homes. Um, it's a tough bet for him uh, because really, uh, you know, he talks about he's not going to be a one-issue mayor, but In reality, crime really is his issue. Uh, He's really made that uh, his signature. um, And it's one of the reasons he was able to, you know, pull out a victory in this difficult uh, Democratic um, primary. So, you know, he's continuing to sort of roll out plans uh, to try to address crime. He has this sort of subway safety plan. Today, he was talking about removing uh, homeless uh, encampments, Um, But, you know, there's pushback on that, right? People don't want to return to the sort of policing that we saw during the Bloomberg and Giuliani eras, where people uh, specifically, mainly Black and Latino people and men, their their rights were being uh, violated. So, you know, he's really promised to do something that we haven't necessarily seen before, which is to use really some sort of tough on crime procedures but to do it in a way without violating the rights of of mostly Black and brown people. Uh, And so whether he likes it or not, he is going to be judged on uh, the direction that that crime uh, moves in. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see over the first uh, six, uh, seven months uh, of his term, um, whether these actions he's proposing actually have any effect on the crime rate.
3: Great. And and just for the closer here, because there are budget negotiations happening today, you know, a couple miles up the throughway from us. Um, But what what do you think Kathy Hochul can do in the budget? What can come out of the budget that could either strengthen or hurt um, her role with Black voters in New York? I don't know if there's anything that can be done. I'm sure it's not as simple as just changing something in the budget that could, could make all the difference. But what right. do you think could be seen in that budget that could help or hurt or strengthen her in the election?
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, you know, for, the court, for my story, I talked to folks like um, Congressman Greg Meeks out of Queens and, and Jamal Bailey uh, uh, from Bronx, a state representative from the Bronx. And, you know, what both of them talked about, what they wanted to see really was uh, more sort of economic empowerment uh, for uh, the black community, um, you know, they wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, for example, in the JFK project, that you know there were black contractors getting jobs uh, and 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 real sort of a uh, real stake in those sort of projects, uh, because those sort of things are the reason that you know you see. Uh, black people being more affected by this pandemic and the economic uh, turndown is just sort of this lack of um, economic opportunity. Um, I think even in the governor's uh, 10 point sort of crime plan, she's uh, addressed certain issues such as, uh, you know, more mental health resources, um, you know, more money for violence interruption. So I really think, uh, you know, people are going to wait and see whether the money is um, you know, where she puts her money where, the mouth, where her mouth is on, on some of these issues. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she has a real opportunity uh, with this budget uh, to then take sort of those successes that I know that they're fighting really hard for uh, during this difficult time when her lieutenant governor is facing some ethical issues. Uh, you know, I expect her to sort of take any of those victories uh, that she gets in the budget uh, and basically, you know, go around the state uh, sort of touting those victories to to specifically uh, Black voters.
3: Jeff Mays of the New York Times, thank you for hopping on with us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. always appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Jeff. Thank you. All right. So joining us now is uh, Craig McCarthy, the Deputy Police Bureau Chief for the New York Post, and uh, one of the heavy hitters at a paper that's broken a lot more news about the NYPD I think that the MIP does not want out there than its reputation in some circles might suggest. So, Craig, help us out. You're, you're, you're following the department closely. I'm watching what's happening now with this new uh, gun unit, anti-gun unit. Um, I, I'm watching what's happening with quality of life enforcement, which Eric Adams insists is not broken windows policing. And I'm trying to figure out at this sort of fraught moment when there's a very different rhetorical tone from the administration uh, about not uh, accepting crime and disorder. Uh, The numbers for the first few months of this year have been going very much in the wrong direction. Like what's actually new and and what's just rebranding with this department and this administration?
4: So, I mean, a lot of the programs that have been touted, I mean, we had the police commissioner. Kichin Sewell in a public safety hearing this morning. And she's having a lot of youth programs and these engaging with violence interrupters. And it's it's a lot of a, the same kind of rhetoric we've heard from the de Blasio administration that's been rolled over for the last few years. I mean, de Blasio could was quoting himself years and years afterwards, these same kind of programs. Well, they do work. Some of them do work and they, they are effective with when working with the community. Um, when it comes to these new neighborhood safety teams, I mean. The police sources I talked to, they're kind of—I mean—they're split at this point whether or not how effective they are or going to be. Um, That time will tell. Obviously, we will figure out if they do affect shootings. Um, It's hard to see the empirical evidence with this. I mean, uh, chief of department Ken Corey was asked today, "How are we going to measure success with this?" By one of the councilwomen, and I mean he—he had did he did focus on quality arrests quality arrests that aren't thrown out by violence or aren't thrown out by police misconduct anything like that that they can actually move forward but these teams really did focus on a very small number of gun cases and and we've seen over the last few years since the gun the shootings have ticked up gun arrests and shootings have no statistical correlation I mean the month that de Blasio and uh, police commissioner Shea it was in September of 2020, um, or yes, I, I believe it's that month, but they they touted the highest number of record uh, of, of, of police gun arrests in ever in com- uh, since Compset started. That month, we also had a record high shooting numbers. Then a few months later, we had a record high shooting numbers and the gun arrests were down. like it's there has not been any statistical correlation to that despite any kind of rhetoric that is coming out. Um, now they, they can make tactical, gun arrests, meaning like a lot of this violence is really focused on younger, um, you know, teenagers. And from even from like advocates I talked to that work with these gangs in different communities in the city, this isn't older gang, you know, members with the younger guys, like taking off, you know, having the guns and they're the ones that, you know, are doing the shootings. So the older guys don't get prosecuted. There is,
2: it's just, it's a different situation. And that's something that adams that's something that Adams brought up very early on uh, uh coming into his administration was wanting to um uh, make sure that the younger the the younger people arrested for guns were tried you know it, a rollback of raise the age were tried more as adults that in some way I guess his reasoning was to affect the older gun owners. Um, empathy that the kid wouldn't go away for a long period of time. It, w- it wasn't reasoning that I found super sound when he said it at the beginning. Um,
4: yeah, but is yeah, that what you mean? Yeah, because there's is, this, I guess what he had been pitching was this understanding, right? Like that, that uh, you know, a 25 a year old gang member would give the gun to a 15 year old that they were recruiting because, hey, you're going to, even if you get a hit, you're going to get a small hit. You know, you're going to get into family court and you're not going to have to go away for a while advocates that I talked to saying that it's not the case these even the older gang members don't want anything to do with the younger guys because they're so reckless like they there there's a little bit of I guess a little bit of a code there where they're not trying to be this reckless because it, it will I guess it it will get flooded with cops right so I mean it, it doesn't seem to beg to reason that it would help them but coming to these neighborhood safety teams the time will tell whether this is going to affect it I mean it really is a rebranding of anti-crime You know, Ken Corey did go into detail today about their training. They've claimed it's extensive. It's seven days, so it's not extensive comparatively to what police officials have said about trainings. It's two rooms of court courtroom testimony, so being able to bring the case before a jury or into trial, you know, or for an indictment. Three days of tactics training, uh, minimal use of force techniques, and two days of risk management. I mean. Those are important. They we have to admit that that's those are important things they should be doing. I wouldn't classify that as intensive um, for seven days. I mean, extensive. Um, and the uniforms. I mean, there that that has been you know argument of advocates for years is when you roll when when these when the anti crime guys the jump out jump out cops used to come up and roll up on gangs, there would be this immediate urge for them to shoot and it would increase violence. Very, it would escalate the situation very quickly because they did not know what was happening. So being clearly marked as, you know, on their vest or anything like that could lead to at least reducing those incidents. But again, time will tell if these tactics will reduce shootings. I mean, it's happening in, the, across, in so many other cities across the country. And I, every expert I've talked to on either side of this Nobody really has an answer as to what is, A, driving the gun violence, and B, how to actually address it. Because, the, the, I mean, we've been in this for, what, two, over two years now. So, the, obviously, we've been doing these tactics. They haven't ignored getting guns off the street in the last two years. They've
1: actually upped that. So, time will tell. Right. You can get rid of the anti-gun unit under whatever name. It doesn't mean the police aren't searching for guns. Um, I was told with this new unit uh, on background that, that we should expect two months for this to show up statistically. So we'll see. Like, these guys are putting a lot of uh, sort of quick numbers out here. We're talking about two weeks right now to clear all the uh, homeless encampments in the city. Um, uh, I did want to ask you about one particular case that i've been fascinated by is i think it brings a lot of this together involving uh, raise the age and teens and targeted enforcement and gang affiliation and so on and uh, that's this uh this kid c blue um or that's his the name he's a drill rapper under i think he's a uh, cameron williams who was 16 who had a, a previous gun arrest right um and then is getting arrested again turns out he has a gun on him the gun goes off uh, he gets shot by his gun. Uh, an officer, I believe, gets grazed by his gun. And this judge in the Bronx discredits the uh, testimony of one of the officers involved and says it's not at all credible. Um, also, criticizes the district attorney's office for going at him. Says that there was no apparent reason for the uh, officer to have initiated the confrontation uh, and and for these charges to have gone forward the way they are. So, so this seems like it's right at the intersection of uh, targeted enforcement. And then the concerns advocates have about that, uh, that you're profiling kids, that you're using social media and other databases. That was her objection. Uh, the judges to the DA's office was that they were pointing to his social media things where he's like representing uh, for this crew very openly. And she's saying, well, well, you can't judge this just based on social media and his rap lyrics. That's art. Uh, and at the same time, the guy is, is just sort of straight up saying who he is and what he's about. Um, finally, you know, by all the accounts, except that one officer, he he really hadn't done anything suspicious. He was cooperative during the, uh, during the stop. So I, I think this raises all the questions when you get out of the, the abstract, this one case of what it is the, the NYPD is doing and what it ought to be doing to go after people they know are targeting guns, to go after types of people in neighborhoods where they know guns are being carried, who their concern might be like, like, like that seems like, uh, where a lot of this rubber is hitting the road and, and, and it's not clear to me with with the mayor is talking about more enforcement, but only just enforcement and everything is supposed to be done by the books, like how this does work and how it should work and and what should be happening with, with, with stops. They're actually meant to look for other things, you know? So, so traffic stops or previously marijuana stops or or stuff like that. Like, like, can the NYPD be successful without those tools?
4: So, I, this this is an interesting case because as I said, uh as you as you pointed out quite elegantly, this is the the intersection of where the rubber meets the road, right? So I think what what stood out to me with this was that the narrative changed after the judge's ruling. So after the judge came out and said this, the judge, you know, ruling that the the officer's testimony was incredible because it didn't line up with the body camera footage. I think this is this is a an important thing because now we're working with these neighborhood safety teams on the streets, where everything that Adams is saying is, and and NYPD brasses, we're going to review the body camera footage and whatever the body camera footage shows us. That's how we're going to learn from it. From the dash, we're putting dashboard cameras in here. That's how we're going to learn from this. And I, 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 the response to this, I, I pressed Police Commissioner Sewell on this in one PP a few weeks ago when this happened. And she said she disagreed with the ruling, but did not elaborate on what she disagreed with. And I and I guess this is my my the disconnect with that is I don't this it kind of goes against what Adams was promising here that he would re- look at this and then review it. They're they're saying they just disagree with the judge, but they did not object to I guess her it, her understanding. I, I get their I get their understanding that they're saying, well, we believe we had the we had the right to stop them. That's Obviously, a judge ruled in a different way. You have a different opinion. However, what she really ruled on, I think what got lost in this a lot, opposed to the, the reason for the stop and over that stop was that she, the testimony the officer gave was incredible, what did not match the body camera footage. And I think that's the, the, the part of this story that is the most important thing, because a lot of this with the, anti, with the anti-gun units, It's going to be a trust situation, right? It's going to be creating this trust with community. It's been all about community outreach and setting up these meetings with the community, albeit them delayed in a lot of cases. So, I I thought this was an an early test for this. Obviously, this is not the neighborhood safety teams. I think we should note this was before those were rolled out, and this officer is not on a neighborhood safety team. I've confirmed that. So. Will the neighborhood safety teams do better? Right. I think. I think it's really important that these officers, like when these officers are doing these stops, that when the body camera footage comes out, I think then officials, if they're giving a different account of that situation, especially when it's, I mean, it was a pretty scathing review from a judge that there would be some, some, some responsibility on that end to at least admit that. Yes. Okay. The, the 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 officer's testimony was different because they did say post after that that the officer recognized him from an earlier gun arrest. That was the later justification. If that was the case, there is like there. Not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not arguing this, but there's a, that is at least an argument that they could he could have made that he said he knew him from an earlier gun arrest and he was known to carry guns because of what they do on the police, what, what they do on the street what these police officers do on the street. However, that was not the narrative that was put forward at first, and it became a changing narrative once the judge ruled. So that's, that's the red flag that I had there.
1: And the pretextual part of this was just that they testified he was part of a disorderly crowd, and he refused orders to take his hands out of his pockets. And then the judge, referring to the body camera footage, is like, none of that was so. And while you know, this kid was, in fact, carrying a gun, he, he behaved in exactly the way you would tell your kid. Too behaved if stopped by the police and the, the, their narrative just didn't stack up with with what you could say.
2: It, it brings me to a larger question about the way Adams is handling the police and messaging. So we're seeing a lot, not only, uh, in regard to these units, uh, the gun violence units, but also in regard to the homeless encampments and Adam is stressing and in fact, promising not only in his, um, uh, in his press conference today, but like again and again since he's been elected, that people will be treated with dignity. That it, it, promising and implying that we're not going to have the same problems that we've been having for years and years with things like vice squad guys, old vice squad guys getting arrested for running brothels with the with the women that they used to arrest for uh, prostitution, with uh, rampant corruption, with the videos of like slapping around homeless people um, and. You know, sanitation workers gleefully, you know, uh, just destroying people's encampments um, and things like that. So he's making a lot of promises on the behavior of the New York Police Department. And what is the general mood around that? Like if de Blasio made these kind of promises, I think he would have been laughed out of the press room, right? Because he didn't have a lot of credibility uh, when he did make those promises. Um, so what is the mood just generally around what we're seeing with what Adam's promising and what's actually happening?
4: Well, well, I think that, I mean, uh, among the police officers, you know, sources I talked to too, they, they, they do enjoy the fact that they, I mean, this is obviously a political move to appease the police department. I mean, this is something that he wants to appease to the rank and file. I mean, he was the guy that was out there for the first three months, predominantly as the figurehead for the NYPD. I mean, he was out there for every press conference, and I, th- I think that he's still in the honeymoon period of this, right? So, I, I think that if this would have ha- if this happens in eight months, I think that's a different. I think he's going to get a little bit more blowback. I think the first blowback he's even gotten was from dropping the vaccine mandate for the for the uh, baseball players and and you know nuts and stuff like that from from city um, from city council. And that's really the first pushback he's gotten, like a lot of pushback, I would say. So, I I mean, I think this is a move to show that post-Bill de Blasio, this mayor is supporting the NYPD and the rank and file officers. I think that coming forward, I think in the the next few months, I think, I mean, even just listening to the hearing today, the public safety hearing, the, the... Police brass are starting to face a little bit of blowback on this. I mean, they are already calling for John Miller, you know, to be fired the other day over making comments during a public safety hearing about the NYPD claiming that the NYPD did not spy on the Muslim community, which has been widely reported at that point. So, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that's going to land in the next few months. I mean, this is a. I think it would be a different conversation if this was the neighborhood safety teams. I think he can kind of chalk this up to. It was only for your first few weeks in office, you know. But he, again, he is, I think he's putting a lot of political capital, you know, as in his in the NYPD and in leadership that, you know, in in Keech and Sewell, who, comparatively to the other candidates that were being interviewed, has is relatively inexperienced in that comparison. Um, and putting it on a lot of institutional people that have been in that department for a while. And then we also have Deputy Mayor Phil Banks, who was supposed to be the next police commissioner before he retired with the nypd uh bribery scandal
2: but in some of this messaging messaging that uh, eric adams is coming out with um there is like a promise that we're not going to see that this dignity um using words like dignity and with respect and and he's talking about the engagement and there's this like you know uh promise in a lot of that rhetoric that the public is not going to see the same kind of like videos that we've we have seen in the past, and I just wonder what happens when there is something. Um, possibly, hopefully, there isn't, obviously, but when there is something that comes out that might have caught a police officer doing something that that doesn't align with the messaging that Adam is talking about now. Adams is talking about now. I guess yeah, it remains I mean, to be seen. This is an
4: early. If this was an early indication of that, right? Then. He's. It looks like he's going to side with the police officers here, but I mean, we we, we don't know. You know, it is it, we don't know the situations, and we don't know that.
1: So, speaking of capital, we're talking about political capital, uh, then there's also, of course, cash capital. There's a new NBC poll out, national poll today, uh, showing that that there's like overwhelming support from voters, but also notably from Democrats uh that they'd be 75 percent of voters 59 of democrats so they'd be more likely to support a candidate who supports funding the police um adams put himself out as a, a national face of the party uh wh- what are like the 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 spending and overtime implications for for what he's trying to do and 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 how do those sort of play into his relationship which is a unique one. And I want to come back to that, uh, uh, you know, as a former cop and and for other reasons uh, with the department, which was obviously very fraught under the previous man.
4: Well, I think that, you know, the response has been here to flood the subways to flood the streets with cops, you know, to Adam's credit, he does want to pull a lot of guys off administrative duty. We have a lot of officers that are on administrative duty that, could be out in the streets, a lot of supervisors, a lot of things like that, that, that there, there are a lot of cops that we have that aren't doing police work on a daily basis. That, that is a he, good sent, he sent
1: chiefs to uh, out out to patrol the trains in Paris, right? He did. He did do that. I mean, that
4: I think you're going to, I think that angered the chiefs a little bit. I, and I think there's a lot of that comes from... Uh, what I've been told from sources, a lot of the the chiefs being out there is a lot of the guys on the street don't really know what they're doing in the sense they don't know what they're doing in the subways. There's, there hasn't been a lot of a direct, um, direct instructions on how you're doing these subway checks and how they're doing these things. Um, there was actually a, an email that was going around from in police precincts after, um, after the, right before the neighborhood policing, um, press release came out. I had been reporting on, I'm sorry, not neighborhood policing, uh, pres- uh, the broken windows policing. Um, press release came out. I'd, I had the, you know, Co- Corey was on a call and he had you know touted the broken windows. And after that call, there was an email that had gone around about trying to punish guys 20 days for being off their post in a subway. I, I had guys telling me, I-, I don't even know where my post is. In the sense that they don't, there, there's just a little bit of lack of direction that having the chief there I think was a little bit of a uh, having somebody at least a supervisor on scene to be able to ask those things and you keep charge of that so but then overtime costs we don't we don't know yet we don't know how this is affecting I, I would I would educate a guess that this their overtime their overtime will be up in this first half of the year you would imagine um, and the Question is, what results did that have? I mean, a lot of these high-profile incidents. There was police officers right by. I mean, I, thinking about one of the pushings on the subway, um, the hammer attack on the subway. Um, there were officers there, and you know, with 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 shootings, and you know, again, we'll we will see in the coming months if this if, if paying this overtime works. I mean, policing advocate, you know, advocates will say that flooding police officers onto the streets does not affect these things, they're claiming it does. So we're kind of at this crossroad and and Adams is betting on this paying off. I think that if, if Adam moves, moves the needle on on crime down and and you can, you can note these things, then I think that he can make the case in six months and eight months in a year that the, 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 the cost was worth it. But I think we should also note that there are, we're coming out of the pandemic. We're just opening up. A lot of comparisons have been done to last year, which a lot of that was in the pandemic where we were all locked in our house for another few weeks after the holidays. We weren't all going back to work. The ridership on the on the subways was down. There are some things that are happening. Shootings are up. Homicides are up because of shootings being up. And there's there is a lot of thefts going on, but it's not it's it's in Queens. It's in it's in parts of Brooklyn. It's not terrorizing people in Manhattan. There's I think there's a lot of fear fear mongering with some of these things because there's a a lot of comparison going on because people are going back to the office and they're seeing these headlines. And but there's also been a lot of horrific things that kind of stand out. So I think there's a little bit of a, a mis, uh, misperception on what's happening here. I, I, but the gun violence is real, and I think that's something that we can. All agree on that that has been up since the start of the pandemic.
2: I just had a, a quick, a, a, if you, if you know, um, after the quote unquote defund, which most, uh, mostly depended on, you know, cutting overtime that didn't really seem to get cut considering a lot of the protests, right. In 2020 and 2021, I don't know. I, I don't expect you to have the numbers, but like do you think that overtime is up now compared to 2020 and 2021 with all of those protests? Because I would, I mean, cops were out in full all night. I don't know the overtime numbers in that era, but it would seem that, I mean, as a, as a layman, and if I were making a cynical guess, I would say they made up for a lot of that uh, lost defund money. A lot of which wasn't actually taken from the police department, but was almost taken on spec, in imaginary cutting of possible overtime. And then the protests started to happen. Then right, George and much Floyd of happened.
4: that cut too was was school moving, moving the school safety officers out of the NYPD, moving. It, it was a lot of it was a lot of it was a shell game for a lot of the stuff under De Blasio of, of what he was cutting. There were cuts to overtime, but most of the cuts to overtime were to people like detective units. People that close cases, and you know that obviously affects New Yorkers uh, like a lot. Um, having detectives not being able to close cases, but also at the same time, we didn't see the same kind of overtime because we weren't open, right? Like we weren't having parades every day. You weren't having protest. I mean, you were having protests. We weren't having all of these other protests that were at the UN, at downtown Manhattan, at City Hall. So it was like. It, I'm not saying it was a one-for-one one wash, but I, I do, I mean, from everybody that I know in detective units and sources, their overtime was capped around five to 10 hours a week, which for for a guy doing detective work, if you get a case, those are the guys closing it. And, though, and capping those kind of things did affect closing cases. And we saw that in the closing, in the, in the clearance rates last year and the year before. We saw a, a notable downturn in that. Also, a lot of that... Some of that money of that, it's kind of hard to really quantify, will be attributed to the pandemic and should be. It should be the pandemic because you weren't getting witnesses. You weren't out there to, you know, being able to canvas as much as you could because of those things. Um, but yeah, I, I, we, we don't know what the effect of overtime is right now. And anything is speculation. I know a lot of overtime is going in I just could not quantify it at this point. And I, and I can't, again, then put it into context of what that means historically at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know the NYPD, they, whatever they budget for overtime, which I, I've never really understood why the, the overtime budget is never just at least an average of the year prior. Um, they, they budget just, it, it, it means City Hall budgets it in the mayor's office. So I don't really understand the point of budgeting something you know you're usually going to blow by. So I don't know. <laughs>
1: So we should mention that the uh, CCRB said, I believe earlier this week, that it confirmed 187 cases involving 104 cops of misconduct uh, during the Floyd protests, 64 of them were, or 61 of them, they recommended the highest level of discipline. And most of those cases haven't been cleared yet. And it's going to be interesting to see what the NYPD, which, the commissioner has the last word on these decisions. Um, actually, does with those. And and speaking of that, going back to some things you brought up earlier, Craig. So so, Kitchen School hasn't been doing press conferences to put out the Comstat numbers, which has been really striking to me because uh, that that had been a constant under previous mayors and commissioners. And it happens with somebody who was in her first position in New York City. You know, with, with a much bigger department than, than she'd ever dealt with in uh in long island you have phil banks as this uh deputy mayor who has a long-standing relationship with with eric adams like what what is all that about and and from your perspective uh, reporting on the department um are, are there issues with these uh shifts in communication and who's putting this out and how and when people are and are not answering questions
4: well i think for the press you know we we all want our public officials to be there to be held accountable. It was it, w- it was strange that she hadn't been out there and holding her own press conferences and doing those things. However, you can write that off. I think you can give her a little credit of saying, and this is what the PD had been saying as well, she's getting up to speed. You know, If you're facing the grilling, grilling from Jack reporters, you're going to be asked a bunch of off-topic questions that you might not have the answer to. She, she did do a press conference a few weeks ago on a Friday. To be completely honest, I think her she was pretty good in the press conference. She was asked things that she didn't know about. She said, I don't know about that. Let me get briefed on it later. She answered questions about things she was briefed on. But Comstead, we don't we don't know. I mean, I think that's a very important thing. And I think that I don't know if this is controlling the narrative through City Hall. I don't know if this is getting things going with a lot of you're getting pulled in so many different directions with, so you know, cause cause typically the Comstat meetings would be held with the mayor, the, when they do the, the monthly crime statistics. So at this point we don't, we don't know. I mean, you know, this was, today was the first day I saw Phil banks at a hearing mm-hmm. um, for anything. He was supposed to be on cats last night on the radio. He didn't appear. Um, so I'm not really sure what that was about either, but I don't know. I mean, uh, last time we checked, Phil banks still wasn't on the payroll. He hadn't submitted his paperwork to see if he was going to get an exemption for his pension or if he'd, he had submitted his background check to the DOI. So all of these questions are still kind of pending. And I think a lot of these things also come out, too, is the mayor also keeps a very tight circle, as well as the police commissioner. They There's not a lot of big meetings anymore, and there's not a lot of you know guys gossiping about what's happening in these things because these meetings are being held very small and, and it's very insular. And... I don't know if that's a tactic to keep things from getting out or it's more of a the police commissioner is still getting to know the department and figuring out what she should be doing what she can do and who she should be trusting and what kind of meetings they should be holding. Um, again, it's, this is a time we will tell. I mean, when we reported on Keech and Sewell taking the job or getting appointed to the job being a pick back in, in December, you know, I had pressed Adam's people of the political gamble because of her being a rising star with a small department. So I think a lot of this, it's very important for the public to understand that doing, having press conferences and doing these things is important because that's how the public gets to gauge how the police commissioner is performing. Because it's not just a press release that gets issued. We can be able to press them on issues, press them on crime statistics, press them on what's happening, and get their honest, on-the-fly answer without being prepared for those things. I mean, obviously, they're prepped for it, but being able to be pressed with follow up questions as the mayor does almost every day. So I think that people in his office, I mean, comparatively, you know, Phil Banks's brother runs city schools, has held multiple press conferences in which she's taking questions, although he was a little bit more familiar with that organization prior to joining. So I don't know. I mean, the last two times that the Kitchen Sewell has been in front of the city council, I think she's handled herself pretty well. She had to duck out early today for the mayor's press conference, but I'd probably put that more on the mayor's office judging the, her schedule rather than her staying for it. Cause she did stay for the whole first
1: budget hearing. Greg, I think we have to weave it there. Uh, thank you again for coming on and uh, I'm sure. We're going to have lots to uh, talk about coming forward. Please come back. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys.
2: Yeah. Please come back. Some of these uh, questions we have, um, have clear clear follow-up so maybe in a couple months we'll we'll get you back on to talk about some of the stats that we may or may not get
4: faq
3: faq.nyc is a production of racket media and a proud member of the brick house cooperative of independent journalists artists and critics online at the brick dot house
0: we are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research and came to you this week from all over the city. A special thank you to our guests, Craig McCarthy of the New York Post and Jeff Mays of the New York Times. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn, and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be cool, be kind, and we'll see you next week.